And you should know how you'll be notified. Um, we have that other printout that we'll, I think we'll give you later. But knowing how you'll be notified means knowing that how the local news stations, what they are, and how you'll be how they'll give out information. One of the news stations is called KNX 1070 AM, and there's also KFI 640 AM, and both of these will. Um, provide emergency information should there be any type of emergency in Los Angeles. Um, the Red Cross will use the KNX 1070 to announce the locations of emergency shelters. This is why it's important for you to have a radio kit and your kit as well. So the LA County also has what's called a reverse 911. And System And what this is is that in case of a disaster, 911 will call you. And your, your landlines, if you have a landline, they are already registered. So they will call you. If you want to get notifications on your cell phone or email, you can register them online. And the web address for that is alertlacounty.gov. And that'll be, that, you have that printout, right, of, of the PowerPoint that I sent you? Did you print yes. that out? So that information is on, the, on another um, handout that we'll give to you later. So don't worry about that. Yes? Question. Uh, in terms of when you were talking about radios. Yes. Do you remember, there's a reason why I'm asking this. Do you remember the radios that don't require batteries? They were the wine radios. There's crank radios. They certainly do. The Red Cross sells them. I checked, uh, what is it, Sports Authority? I checked. Radio Shack sells them. There you go. Amazon. Amazon. There you go. SOS products. SOS, exactly. SOS, where is that located at? Van Nuys. Van Nuys and what? No, in Van Nuys. I don't remember the streets. It's near the airport. But there's a, if, if you want. SOS what? Products. There are certain companies that provide disaster supplies. Mm -hmm. SOS products is one of them. I think EMS supplies or something. But if you want to contact me or I can send a list to Manuel and he can get you all a list, okay? Yes, please. I'll give you okay. as many as I can. Thank you. <laughs> Sir, we're just going to keep moving forward a little bit. I'll get I to your question. See, I know, but I wanted to mention there's a company in California that sells these, uh, these uh, packages as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. The next part of being informed, and this is important information, is to know <coughs> your nearest police station, hospital, and fire station. And you should know where they are so that you know where to go should you need help. And you should find out their non-emergency telephone numbers and post them by your telephone or post them in a little contact card. And I believe I have some of these to give away so that you can keep it in your wallet or something. And um, so you know how to contact them, and you have that information easily accessible to you. And that should be in your important contact numbers in your kit as well. Um, if you don't know these numbers, that's okay. You can call a number called 211 or go to the 211LA.org website to find these local services, and they'll put you in touch with your the local non-emergency numbers. If you live in the city of LA, dial 311. Oh, yeah. 211 is countywide. Okay. 311 is LA city specific. All right, thank you. Okay. You want to go? And the next part of 
being informed is knowing your surroundings. Um, smoke detectors, are there some around? And are they working properly? Um, fire extinguishers, know where they are. Um, and also, it's very important to know where you can shut off water, um, electricity, and gas. Um, and you also want to know your building and facility emergency plans um, and the potential hazards that go along with it. I, I was asked by one of my students, if uh, you have some medical equipment that involves, um, how do you call it? Like a pacemaker, oxygen, oxygen. Where, where should you store them in such a way that it won't be in hazard in case of earthquake or fire? Mm. What, where is the... <laughs> That's um, a good question. I would ask the oxygen supply company how you should store that. Typically, you probably want to have some kind of brace device kind of like what we have for water heaters, so that it doesn't tip over. But you also want it readily accessible so you can run out with it if you need it. Um, again, talk to the oxygen suppliers and the people that are bringing it with you and um, the, the medical supply companies about if they have anything already built or you can just talk to somebody, an engineer or contractor, to actually put in some strapping devices for you. Mm -hmm. And also, if you have bookcases or mirrors or televisions or anything like that, you also want to make sure that they're secured and strapped to the walls. Um, they, they have these things like earthquake holds they sell at the 99-cent store. Um, and you can get safety latches for your cabinets so they don't um, open accidentally and you don't want to trip over cabinets or things like that. Um, and... Okay, and know how to respond. It sounds like um, you guys all know what to do during an earthquake, um, also a fire. Um, learn how to respond to a flood as well, or heat waves or wildfires. Um, heat waves, definitely drink a lot of water. Do not let yourself get dehydrated. Um, and... Heat waves, I wanted to just add something. Yes. Sometimes if your apartment doesn't have a, um, doesn't have electricity, uh, doesn't have uh, a cooling system and it gets really, really hot, a lot of uh, cities um, have parks and rec centers where they have a cooling station. Senior centers, senior centers particularly. And senior centers and libraries. And libraries. So mm -hmm. you can always go there to cool off. Mm -hmm. And that'll be, that's usually announced on the city's website. Mm -hmm. okay. What about the gas leak? Pardon? A gas leak. A gas leak. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why also in being in being prepared and being informed, you should know where your gas um, is, and you should have a tool handy so that you can shut it off yourself and learn how to do that. That's part of being prepared. Mm -hmm. And gas, you only want to shut it off if you smell it. Mm -hmm. That's why they add a smell to it, so that you know that it's leaking. Because if they didn't, you wouldn't know. But if you smell gas, then you shut it off. If you don't smell any gas, don't shut it off because DWP uh, isn't going to be around to put it back on, and you'll be without gas, and you won't be able to heat your soup if you if you have gas mm -hmm. stoves. So, you know, you you don't want to shut it off unnecessarily. 
Yes, sir. Oh, right. Okay, sorry. I, ha I mentioned the wrong agency. You're right. <laughs> Southern California Gas. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why you don't want to shut it off unless you smell something. Yeah. Yes, ma'am? I have a question. Sometimes injuries do occur before help get there. Uh -huh. And here's the question I'd like to ask you guys. If there's a way that you can teach CPR or first aid to the, the, the visually handicapped, mm -hmm. and, and you know they don't get much money right. without pay, they right. do need the class. They, because sometimes yeah. injuries really happen and that you don't have the, the people that's not there to help and you've got to kick in and do it. Right. Yeah, no, we, we, we would love class. to do yes. that. Uh -huh. We do offer CPR, CPR first aid first classes. Yep. And um, we can and offer them we can offer them at cost yeah. um, to underserved to, communities like yep. the visually impaired. Yeah. And and it's um, ten fifty a class, I believe. Yeah, ten fifty um, per person instead so of the normal rate of sixty dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's CPR, first aid, and AED training. We can talk oh, later about scheduling a CPR first aid class for uh -huh. those of you that are interested. We need a minimum of ten people to teach the class. Mm -hmm. So, okay. <laughs> okay. No, two. it only lasts oh, one year. The CPR now lasts two years. They two changed years. the rules. Oh, really? Okay. The first aid lasts longer. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Um, you can also find all this information at preparela.org. Um, they also have CPR information, first aid information, um, just pamphlets that you can read through. Um, there's also this information in Braille. Um, at accessibleemergencyinfo.com and you can download a file and print it out on the Braille printer. Also, oh, okay, <laughs> great, <laughs> gives us work too, so it's good. <laughs> um, okay, and also, um, do you guys, I'm sure you guys know, what is the Red Cross most famous for around here? Do you know? Blood, yes, giving blood. So you can do that as well. Um, you can also volunteer at the Red Cross. Um, and you can work at home as well if you have access to Internet. Um, it might be helpful to have Braille labels on fire extinguishers or marking emergency exits, and that's kind of just preparing yourself again. Um, and... Uh, by being someone that is informed, you can also tell your neighbors um, to do this as well. Um, if you want to give blood, uh, you can call 1-800-GIVE-LIFE to sign up to give blood. Um, and I'm sure there's uh, blood donation centers around. Um, and anything else? Any other questions that you have for us? Yes, that's a very good question. Do you want to answer that? Go ahead. Okay. Well, we recommend that um, you look through your emergency kit uh, twice a year and um, to check the expiration dates. Um, food ha has expiration dates, and so does water. Water, even if it's in a plastic thing, it has an expiration date. 
However, if you miss the expiration date on your water, what, it's still drinkable. It's just going to taste like minerals. So you can, you, can, you can still drink it, but it won't taste as, as clean and crisp, you know. It's going to taste a little, a little minerally. So, um, but yeah, we recommend that um, twice a year, daylight savings time is a perfect time to do it, to practice your plan, your evacuation plan, <coughs> and to, to look at the supplies, uh, your supplies um, in your kit and look at the expiration date and change those. One other thing that uh, I don't think we mentioned here, but we meant to, is um, your, uh, your smoke detectors. How often do you guys think you should change the batteries on your smoke detectors? Twice a year. Twice a year. Twice a year. That's right. Every six months. Every six months. Right. Okay. Well, if it's electric, that's good. But, um, yeah, you want, to, you want to make sure that you check that six months. I'm going to ask another question. How, many, how much water should you plan for, in your kit? That's right. Perfect. For at least three days, yeah. But one gallon per person per day. Okay. Person what if, includes dogs, and that's cats, right. animals. Yeah, so think of them Not too. Just people. Okay. And um, does the Red Cross accept pets at their shelters? Yes. No. Only, oh. no. only service animals. Only service animals. So, what should you do to prepare for your pets? What should you do to prepare for your pets? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, figure out, talk to, sometimes certain vets have kennels, they have places you might be able to keep your vet there, or a pet-friendly hotel, or a friend, even better. Um, somebody who loves your pet and will take good care of them if, if you can't. So think of those pets, too. Um, what else do we want to... That's, I guess that covers it. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much. Sorry, we went a little bit more questions. Yes, you have a question. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes, another question. You mentioned you guys have kids. Yes. How do we get the from you guys? You can go online. Uh, our position, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're actually um, our position. We're not allowed to sell things, um, and so we have no control over discounts or anything like that. But you can go online and check out um, the prices. I don't think that they're too expensive. So, yes, ma'am. You can look up the uh, Oh, really? And they are they Okay. Okay. You want me to Great. Pick up the thank you. Yes, we can pick up the question. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, and then we're going to give them the new one to evaluate. Post-evaluation after Angela's finished presentation. Okay. This is, this is Angela. I'm going to keep keep going because of time. Okay? This is, this is the second part of the presentation regarding... There's more. One second, please. 
second part of the seminar about well, I, I, my name's Angela Kaufman. I work for the City of Los Angeles with the Department on Disability. Okay, I'm an ADA compliance coordinator. Basically, our department monitors the entire city's compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act, other state laws that relate to people with disabilities. We also have a very large and robust information and referral division. So if you're having difficulties with another city department, with your landlord, and it's related to a disability issue, you can contact our department, and we will work with you to try and resolve the issue. Okay, so that's something. We're the only department of its kind in the nation at the city level. Okay, very small staff, so bear with us right now. Do you have a 1-800 number or something? To uh, you can call 311 and be transferred to us. Just ask for the Department on Disability. Or the direct voice number is area code 213-202-2764. We did move, okay? So I, I don't want to take up too much time on my department and what we do, but if you have any questions, feel free to contact us. Um, and there was a brochure provided in, in, at the back of the room. Um, just to go through, one of the reasons that I think this is fantastic is Again, as I said, the city of Los Angeles, we have 3.6 million people, 470 square miles, 15 council districts. The county of Los Angeles, there's a total of 88 cities. We're one of 88, and we're one-third of the population of L.A. County. So we're a very large city. I've got 9,000 police officers and 3,000 firefighters. And out of the 4 million people that live in the city of L.A., approximately 1 million have some type of disability. Okay? So now, whoever's thinking about, yeah, I can't get out, call 911, they'll come get me. Okay? It's, you have to be realistic as to what goes on in the city. When a disaster happens, such as an earthquake, where it's covering the entire city, such as Northridge, our resources were overwhelmed within the first five minutes, okay? What the city's protocol is, is our fire and police department first have to get their vehicles out of their buildings and make sure where their staff is, where the personnel are, are they on calls, are they in the station, what's damaged. <coughs> we're doing a major self-assessment of the city's infrastructure to see where we're going to fall down and where we need support, okay? That's, that's the first thing on our minds. At the same time, life. People's lives are in jeopardy. We know that. Police department, as they're going around, you're going to try and wait, flag them down. They're not, they're not going to stop right away, possibly, because what they're trying to do is what we call a windshield survey, is they're driving around trying to find out what's been collapsed so that they can report back. It's a very dynamic structure that the city goes through. We train on it on a daily basis most of the time. We have special training and special exercises for this, but you have to understand in a major event where it hits the, affects the entire population, you're on your own for up to 72 hours. If we have this big earthquake, the only way people are going to get into and out of the city of Los Angeles is via helicopter, okay, planes. And the San Fernando Valley is gonna be cut off from the rest of the city. All of our freeways can be damaged. We're not going to have the railroads. Um, there's going to be a lot of damage, structural damage. 
So again, what we're trying to do is get the word out is that it is up to everybody. It's their personal responsibility to be prepared. Okay? As much as I want to be there and help every single one of you, okay, it's not going to happen. But if you are prepared and your family system and your support system is prepared and you end up at one of our Red Cross shelters because the city uses the Red Cross to run our shelter programs, and you tell them that you're, you have a disability and this is what you need, this is what you left, the way it's supposed to work is that, fortunately, through the EOC and our Emergency Operations Center, we're going to be able to request that support. It might not be right away. It might take us a couple hours, and it depends on the damage, but we're going to try to make sure that we have the resources there for you. If we have issues like fires, the wildfires, it doesn't affect the entire city per se, but in fact affects a portion of the city. That still, as you're evacuating to the shelters, you still have to make your needs known. A lot of people get into shelter and they don't know who to talk to or what to say. So you have to practice that part of it too, is what are you gonna say to a first responder to get the assistance that you need? Because they're not going to be able to tell what you need. And you have to remember that their issue on the evacuation is get out, get out, get out now because of the danger. They might not realize that they need to spend some additional time with you to get you to understand that where you need to go and how you need to get there. Because they might not recognize that you have a visual loss. Or maybe it takes a little bit, the language isn't clear enough. And they're also a little bit panicked, too. You have to remember that. They're people as well. They've got their family members and their friends who are at risk as well. So there's a lot that goes on for our first responders. And I feel, I feel fortunate enough to say that we have the best of the best in Los Angeles. A lot of our programs are national models. So just know that I, I have my full support in LAPD and LA Fire that they're going to do the best. But we also need the partnership with the community and our constituents to make sure that they're doing their part so that it's not as much of a burden on them and they don't get that secondary and tertiary trauma of becoming a victim of just the, the incident and then be having that secondary victimization of not being able to have your disability needs met at the time of the disaster. So preparation is huge. Um, again, a disaster is any event that overwhelms the existing resources a community has to respond or deal with the event. Okay, again, an earthquake, we're going to be overwhelmed in a heartbeat. The fires, it depends on how big the fire is. The Metrolink accident, very, very small contained event, but a very large trauma. And again, our resources were, were spent on that because of the violent nature of that crash and trying to rescue um, the people that were there. Again, you want to know their natural or man-made emergencies. They can occur at any time, day or night. So you're here now. What are you going to do if there's an earthquake? Does the Braille Institute, sorry, do they, are they prepared to take all of you in and house you for three days at a minimum? Do you have your medications with you that you need? Do you have the phone numbers of your loved ones that you can call to say you're okay? Do you have that plan in place? Do you have enough food for, for the one service animal I see in the room? You know, there's issues that you have to think about. It's not just at your home. If you work, wherever you play, wherever you go, if you're at friends' houses, you have to think about the additional needs that you might have. 
And again, it could be a small area. It could be a very large area. And we talk about Katrina. We had, what, five states affected, six states affected. It was a very large disaster. Um, we've mentioned a couple of the, we're talking about floods. We've got thunderstorms, lightning, hurricanes, <coughs> not so much. All the, all the things that you hear now on the radio about being prepared for hurricanes, we don't really have to worry about that. But if you're going to be traveling to Florida in September, October, you definitely want to be caught up on what their plans are for hurricanes because you're going to be there, right? So you have to think about when you travel, what issues are going to affect you and what does that city or that county have in place in the event you're trapped there, okay? You also have to think about civil unrest. If the city's on a lockdown and you have people that come to your home to provide assistance, is there any way to get them into your home? And if not, how are we still going to be able to help you get some services that you might need desperately? If anybody has dialysis on a daily basis, those kinds of issues. Meals on wheels might not be able to get into those areas. So we have to work and understand what the, the, the parameters are in these, in these incidents so that we can actually find a way to help get assistance to people living in those affected areas with disabilities. Um, the pandemic flu, H1N1s, whatever you want to call it. Um, how many people get vaccinations? Okay, a lot of people believe in them, a lot of people don't. A lot of times when you talk to public health, they want you to get vaccinated, not to protect yourself, but to protect those around you. So my question to people with disabilities is, how many people, do you how many people touch you on a daily basis that are touching you just because they're helping you, so to speak? They're part of your support system. They're, have they had their shots? Okay. Are they sick? Are they coming to work to help you and they've got runny noses and a cold and germs and are they wearing gloves or not? I mean, you can hear them sometimes, okay? So you want to look about when, when we're talking about pandemic issues, how do you protect yourself knowing that you have all these support people that are coming in and out of your space that you might be trying to control to reduce your exposure to the flu or to other symptoms? Um, do they wear gloves? One second. Um, for people who are deafblind and use interpreters, you know, that's a really big issue. Interpreters are always sick. I'm an interpreter as well. And I work with interpreters who, you know, they think that it's okay to sit there and be coughing and hacking away and then go and, you know, do some tactile interpreting. And that's not okay. And, you know, they need to wear gloves. We need to protect each other, so to speak. Um, let me touch on some of the other things. You have to think about terrorism. You have to think about issues. Just, I mean, recently with the Arizona shooting, it can happen anywhere. You asked a question about the CPR and first aid. Um, there's also another program in the city of Los Angeles held by the fire department. It's called CERT, C-E-R-T, the Community Emergency Response Training. Okay? That program goes over the... It, it doesn't teach CPR, it teaches mass casualty and trying to make sure that as many people can survive as possible. If you read the intern's um, interview after the congresswoman was shot and his, how he saved her, you know, the words that he used, I triaged, I knew there were mass victims, I made sure her airway was clear, she, I had to move her because I thought the bleeding was gonna stop her, her the airway. 
uh, or the blood was going to stop the airway, and then he, he treated for shock, okay? That's CERT. That's basically CERT. So that program is offered by the city free of charge. It's offered all the time. We're happy to try and work out something with FIRE to bring a program to the Braille Institute if people are interested in that. But again, you want to be as aware as you can. And it might not be that maybe you physically can't do it. Okay, I've had three back surgeries. Doing CPR is difficult on my back. I'd probably do it if I had to, if it was somebody's life. But I know that it would be difficult for me. But I could also instruct somebody as to what to do. Okay, just because I can't physically do it and I can't physically see something doesn't mean that I can't be a partner in assisting somebody. So don't ever let anybody tell you that you shouldn't take training, you shouldn't do this training. It's all valuable. And also what that does for you is it lets you know that if you're a victim in this situation, what people are going to do to you so that you don't freak out as much. Because a lot of times when our first responders go out, they might not, they see somebody with a disability, and if they're not yet as sensitive as we'd like them to be, they sometimes will just start working on you without communicating what they're doing. We're trying to get them to understand that they have to explain it and then do it. A lot of times they think, well, I'm saving their lives, I just need to do it as fast as I can. And we're trying to get them to be a little bit more sensitive to the trauma that that causes because of the fact the person has a disability and can't see or hear or move to, to even just you know, give consent, so to speak. Okay, so again, any trainings that you can take or just sit in on to hear and listen as to what's going on, I think is gonna be extremely beneficial to you in also helping other individuals. Um, again, we don't know when disasters are gonna happen. We're not as fortunate as Florida and Texas with hurricanes. We're not gonna know about an earthquake. And if anybody tries to sell you something that says that it can predict earthquakes, okay, run the other way. Um, listen, the only people we want you to listen to on that kind of issue is Dr. Lucy Jones out at Caltech. She's the lady that's on TV every single time there's an earthquake. Um, we don't have a detection device. Again, you know, hopefully with the big one, we might have a 20-second warning if that. But right now, that's the extent of the warnings. Okay, um, fires at the same time, we might know, I mean, we have red flag conditions for the, the mountain areas. In a red flag warning day, people in the hills, they're not allowed to park on the streets because our, our hillside streets are very narrow and our apparatus can't get up there. So people that are living in those areas understand that on a red flag day, they have to move their car and it's gonna get towed. Okay, so there are things that have been passed in the city based on past experiences where our first responders had difficulties. They've now set up laws in order to ensure that our first responders can get there and assist. There are times that during a fire, the fire department might feel that it's easier to leave a person in their home and shelter in place than to evacuate them based on their medical issue or disability issue. But what they're going to do is they're going to put resources there to protect you. <coughs> And if they can't, for some, if something changes, they're going to get you out. The Sayer fire, we had the first, the Merrick Cessnon fires. People evacuated. The people that were affected by the Sayer fire three weeks later or a month later, they didn't, a lot of them didn't evacuate the second time. Because the first time they evacuated, ah, the fire didn't get to us. The second time, it was really critical that they evacuated. And our fire department, you know, fortunately, 
got every single person out. We didn't have any fatalities in that fire. But I can tell you, it was one of, I mean, those winds were terrible. It, it, th that fire did things that even the firefighters had never seen before. It was that windy, hurricane force winds with fire. And I was there, so I can tell you, it was a pretty harrowing experience. And I wasn't somebody that lived in that area. I was responding to it, to the shelter, and I got caught up in the fire. So it's something that you want to take precaution. If there's an evacuation, get out. Don't wait for the mandatory evacuation. If you know it's coming, put your plan into effect and get out. Get to wherever it's safe until you can watch it subside and then you can get back into your um, situation. Several years ago, I think it was just after Katrina, the federal government um, put forth a, uh, a questionnaire and they put out to all of the major cities and every state what are the, the preparedness, the emergency preparedness plans for people with disabilities? Out of those that were questioned, 69% had incorporated the needs of people with disabilities into their emergency plans. 22% had a plan in development. 42% um, had a public awareness campaign. And only 16% had the plan available in alternative formats. It's not okay for cities and governments to just plan without telling people what they do. That's, that's where my community, and I'm part of the disability community, that's where we have our problems is we expect certain things to happen and people tell us that they're gonna happen and then it doesn't happen. And then we get stuck and we struggle and we don't know how to get the resources because we, everything that we depend on on a daily basis is now gone. So it's really critical to understand what the city and the county has in place, what their protocols are for responding to you. Talk to your local fire department. Say, hey, what are you going to do? What's going to happen? Talk to your police department. Ask, talk to the officers. Say, how do you handle people who are blind? What are you going to do? You know, how are you going to communicate with me? Test them. I do it all the time when I get pulled over. Okay, the city, the city of Los Angeles does not have what we call a registry. Have you heard that term thrown around? Okay, registries have pros and cons to them. The, the other part of my specialty that I work with is violence prevention against people with disabilities. So everything that comes out that's for the best interest of people with disabilities usually has some kind of uh, vulnerability to that person based on potential violence, okay? So registries, if you sign up for a registry, your information is in a database somewhere that is supposed to be for first responders only. Um, you need to make sure how that confidentiality works, who maintains the database, who's gonna get the information in the event that an event happens and it gets activated. The, the registry doesn't mean that they're going to come and help you. The registry is a planning tool for government so that they know and they can try and pinpoint how many people with disabilities, what type of disabilities, what resources they might need to help the Red Cross get into place. But it doesn't give you a priority on any list. It doesn't mean that people are gonna come, knock, come knocking on your door out of if we have an evacuation, what happens? Police and fire go door to door and say, get out, get out, let's get out, okay? If you're on a registry and you're the fifth house down, our police and fire are not going to jump four houses to get to your house to say, we know you have a disability, get out. 
but they're still going to do their door-to-door. They're going to go through their protocols because going through those protocols ensures that they're assessing every single building, okay? So registries, the city of Los Angeles does not have one. The county has implemented one. Um, It's called SNAP, Specific Needs Awareness Planning. But the access to, it's only through the... Only through the internet. Yes, and that is really... You can file a complaint with the county. Um, our, our, the city of Los Angeles has some issues with the registry. Um, again, it's a county-run um, re- registry. It's for planning purposes. It's to also assist you in getting some information out to you. But it is Internet-dependent. Um, the same with the mass notification system that the county utilizes. The city piggybacks on the mass notification system. Um, and what that does is the landlines, yes. If you, how many people still have a landline phone in their home? How many people have switched to voice over Internet? Ooh, not good. <laughs> the landline phones are the phones that are, that are in almost every single um, reverse system or mass notification system. Easy to get, doesn't need registration. Um, if you have a voiceover internet plan or you have a cell phone and you've gotten rid of your landline phone, then you have to register that phone. The problems with registries for some is, one, again, it, it lets people know where you are and that you have a disability of some sort, okay, which sometimes is not a bad thing, but it could be. You have to think about who has access to this. The second thing is with notification, you're all here, Right? So there's an incident in Woodland Hills. Yesterday there was a shooting. Lockdowns. I don't know if a mass notification went out to anybody in that area to say stay indoors. I don't know that for a fact. Uh, But if it did, you have your home registered, okay? You live in Woodland Hills, you'll get a phone call here. Your your cell phone would would ring here. But if you had your home phone number registered, You'd get that message at home, and you wouldn't get it until you got home. Okay? So you can only register one address with a phone number. So you can't register saying, well, I'm going to be at Braille Institute. That's the second place I go, or my work address, and get notifications. There's some limitations. You have to have different phone numbers. Okay? Um, So just know what some of the pitfalls might be if you do um, register for the mass notification. I'm registered for a lot of mass notifications. I get things on my text device, my email, all day long. During the fires, the first Merrick, the Merrick Cessnon fires, LAUSD started broadcasting the Red Cross shelters. Okay, They were broadcasting the wrong Red Cross shelters. They were broadcasting their schools that did not have Red Cross support, Okay, which became a problem for me because then now I needed to drive around to all of those schools to see if there were actually people there and if there are people with disabilities there, okay? At a couple of the schools, there were. So that becomes a problem. We want you to make sure that you are listening to government officials and to the Red Cross as to where to go. Don't listen to third parties <coughs> that you might get phone calls to because sometimes they don't have the accurate information. Yes, sir? Yeah, does anybody know whether there's been a survey uh, taken on Braille students? Let's say we had a... Nine, 
actually, actually, I don't know. I don't know when this building was built, but what I can say is the California um, building codes are are there because of the earthquakes and the things that we've learned in earthquakes. If you want to compare Haiti to what was the other place? <coughs> Chile. Chile. <coughs> Haiti was demolished. Yeah. Okay. Chile, on the other hand, had a lot of infrastructure damage, but they fared much better. And part of that was because their building codes are similar to ours to an extent. Okay? So you have to hope and pray that our building codes are, again, we don't know what's going to happen in eight point something, but up to what we've had so far with the Northridge earthquake, it depends on where the epicenter is. Um, with an earthquake, it really is a hit and miss. You just want to make sure that your building has been is in compliance with the building codes. Yes, sir. Yeah, the Chile was an 8.8, but the very largest that they've ever had has been at 9.6, and that was also in Chile mm -hmm. years ago, about 1960 or somewhere in there. I'm, I'm uh, into uh, that type of stuff, and I'm going to pass it along. Thank you. And again, Chile is very similar to some of the codes because of the fact that they, are, they have high seismic activity. The city, the county, and Red Cross actually did send a team out to do some surveying of Chile and the infrastructure and the government response to it. So, you know, we learn, we, we support international disasters and we try to assist them as much as possible. Yes? Uh, talking about um, buildings, has anyone done a study about the effects of an earthquake on homes <coughs> and buildings that have solar panels? I can't respond to that, but I'm sure that that's part of the building code. And do people know, like, not only would the panels collapse possibly, but do those panels contain water or anything else? I honestly don't know, but I can try and check it out. I would recommend that you contact the fire department or Department of Building and Safety. You can call 311 and get transferred um, to the right people, and they might be able to give you that information. I don't personally know it. I apologize. Okay? Um, so, again, what you want to really look at is when disaster strikes, where are you going to be? How are you going to get out of there? Who's your family support system? Who are the people that are in your lives that provide you services on a daily basis? How many people here use access services? Okay. What is their plan for you? <laughs> okay. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to give you a call. And it's not, this is, <laughs> let me tell you, it's a disaster every day, right? You'll edit that, right? Okay. Um, this is on recording. We'll edit it on the tape. But I, in all seriousness, you need to start having this. They, they are trying to be responsive, and they're developing their own emergency response plan for access services. But you all need to start having that discussion with them. Number one, I have a ride for scheduled for a pickup. Okay. Now, I'm not talking earthquake. I'm talking little incidents like the Metrolink or a fire. Okay. I have a ride scheduled for pickup. Am I in an, in an event in the city of L.A.? Is that still going to be possible? How are you going to notify me if that's canceled? Okay, number one. Wait a minute. Number two is I've now been picked up and I've been dropped off, say, here at Braille Institute. Are you going to come get me? <laughs> Do I get to go home or are you going to leave me here? What is the response for that? Okay. Oh, I have it. I have it. Okay, hold on. You can, you can give me the answer in a second. 
Okay, that's, that's number two. Yeah, number yeah, three yeah. is what happens if you're actually on the ride when the event occurs? Where are you going? Where are they taking you? What's going to happen to you? Are you going to go with the driver? Are they going to kick you out of the car? Lots of questions. So you've got three points that you actually need to find out what their plan is for you. And you need to also give them some ideas, but you have a burning desire to answer my question. There's a question of any kind, even regarding a ride. I don't care what region it is. I've talked to all four of them. Okay. okay. Each and every one of them are, and I quote, if you have any concerns, problems, qualms, or anything of the nature of your access paratransit vehicle ride, call customer service at Talbot.